Hey, just wanted to tell you real quick that we're doing fantasy football this year. It's totally free, but spaces are very limited because we're only doing one league. So if you would like to do that and you want to try to compete against the host of third string and beat us in football, which is going to be very, very plausible, you should do that. So go to our Twitter account at third string pod or mine at Zach Crippen or our Facebook group vernacular podcast, our, our page there, and you can click the link, sign up once again, totally free. It's just going to be a lot of fun. So Third String Podcast, Fanny's Football League. We're calling it the Benchwarmers. Okay, now on to the show. All right, welcome back to Third String Podcast. Today is the first of our NFL previews. We're going to talk about NFC and AFC North and joining us from the West in Las Vegas, Nevada. Pete LeClede, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How about you, buddy? Happy uh, happy start of football season. We are past the first week of preseason games. So, I mean, worthless, but we're in it, man. Yeah, I am really enjoying the first week of preseason hot takes. You know, let's judge a player's career potential based on 10 snaps or two <laughs> series. It's a good time. I, I love a good preseason hot take. I love it. What's what's your favorite hot take coming out of the, the first week of preseason? Uh, I think my hot take is based on the, you know, the, my favorite hot take is the one that's based on Baker Mayfield not throwing an interception in his first preseason game and saying that he looks every bit like the first round or first overall pick that the Browns thought he was and he'll have the starting job by midseason. Yep, that's, uh, that's one of the ones I was seeing. Did you also see the the beatdown that the Ravens were putting on the LA Rams and may, maybe the Ravens are back. Maybe the Rams were a flash in the pan. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, when I first started following football years ago, I actually got excited for the preseason games and thought that they were some sort of indicator of future success. And I quickly learned that they were not. And I fortunately have not fallen into that trap since then. I've just realized this is all a mirage. None of it actually matters. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like whose line is it anyway, right? But, but you know, one. The, go ahead. I was going to say that the teams are kind of made up right now and the points really don't yeah, matter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I was going to say, though, the, the way that they do matter, and this is why the the players uh, union has criticized preseason games, is because they put players at a much elevated risk, a much higher risk of injury than they would be if they were just practicing. And I know you felt that probably personally because the Redskins lost two guys, including Darius Geis, the highly touted yeah. running back prospect, uh, to torn ACL. So they're done for the season. They're not even going to play this year. Yeah, that was that was disappointing because everyone was so high on him. That was that was a bizarre turn of events, though. I don't know how closely you saw that, but he, he obviously got hurt on Thursday night. Um, uh, and I obviously follow all the D.C. sports reporters, and they had guys in the locker room who were talking to him, and he was telling everyone how he would be fine. He hyperextended it. Yeah, I saw a video um, clip and, of And he of was an walking interview. around. Yeah, he was saying, it's all good. It's going to be fine. Yeah, and then they said that he got on the plane, and after sitting on the plane, he was starting to stiffen up a little, and by the time he got back, he thought something might be bad. But, boy, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to do. I mean, the, the guys need the preseason reps. Uh, obviously, we can't go to touch football in the preseason, but, boy disappointing really disappointing yeah i mean we can't go to touch football they do need the reps i agree with that but i think there there's some room to adjust the preseason games because they're not they're not real games and so we can do things like have uh you know modified rules on kickoff returns no punts things like that i mean you'd yeah. lose some special teams reps sure but i think you'd also save guys heads and bodies 
because yeah. the, you know the, just basically identify the types of plays like punts and kick returns that are the most dangerous statistically speaking and just eliminate those from the the, the preseason game uh playbook and just you know institute rules where you know whenever you start a possession you start on your own 20 or 25 or something like that yeah no i, I think that's i think that's good that the problem with the preseason more than just that exposes guys to injury which is of course terrible is that you still have a fourth of a roster every year who is playing for their livelihood. I mean, these guys are trying to make a team and so they're going full speed. And then you've got your veterans who want no part of full speed play in the middle of August oh, totally. in, in these, these hot climates. I mean, no football stadium in America was cool this week for a preseason game. I mean, these, these guys are getting pushed when they really don't want to get pushed. And at least 10 guys on the other side are, are going as fast as they can to try to make the team. So it's, it's hard. You, you feel for these guys who are getting hurt in the preseason, just trying to make the, make the team. Yeah, I also think that the preseason could be a lot shorter, like maybe two games instead of four, I because I just I see no reason for four games. You can get a lot of the reps in doing in training camp. You can get a lot of team on team reps by doing, you know, collaborative scrimmages and, and teams do that every year. There's there's a ton of scrim. I think last year, the, the Eagles and the Patriots held some joint practices. So it's easy enough to get get a look at different coverages and uh, different defenses and, and things like that without doing four preseason games and i haven't seen the numbers but i can't imagine that they're that the preseason games are that much of a cash cow for the nfl that they just can't can't do without them i mean like there's just there's just very little interest in them yeah i mean the the tv coverage is mediocre at best oh yeah i think i think probably the only people winning here are the nfl owners who can still charge full price for tickets full prices for parking full prices for food at the concession stand but did, did you see the crowds for this first week of the preseason? And I, I get it. It's still summer vacation. If I'm a New England Patriots season ticket holder, I'm probably not going to go out of my way for preseason game one when Tom Brady is barely even going to go to the stadium for his own game. But there, it looked like there were about 5,000 people in Gillette Stadium on Thursday night. Yeah. It was, and that, that's it what was I'm bad. saying. Like this, this can't be that much of a moneymaker for no. the owners. So why is it so important that we have four preseason games? I, I just, I don't, I don't understand. But... The good thing about the preseason is it gives us it gives us opportunity for hot takes and prognostication and predictions. So, with that, you you want to do some AFC NFC North previews? Let's let's get to it, my man. All right. So uh, for our listeners, we thought we'd look at this and basically identify for each division who we think will win the division, and then for each team in the division, talk about a storyline to watch, and then an X factor. So. You know, a player, a situation, a concept that could go one way or the other for the team and really will go a long way in determining that team's success this season. So uh, I think people start with AFC North, uh, Ravens, Steelers, Bengals, Browns. Uh, First of all, who do you have to pick this this uh, division? I'm guessing it's the same team that I have. Yeah, I think we're both pretty high on the Steelers, despite how the. uh... The season ended last year at the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I am more up on the Steelers because of their division than I am their actual talent. I on totally the agree. Field this year, um, so for for just a quick reminder, with it being August and we haven't really talked football since January, in the AFC North we have yeah Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Baltimore. So I would argue two of those teams are trending downward with Cleveland and Baltimore. Uh, I'm sorry, with Cincinnati and Baltimore, I actually think Cleveland is trending up. And then Pittsburgh, who has been the predominant favorite in that division with outside of a, a couple years with, what, 2015 and 2013 against the Bengals. Otherwise, it's it's been the Steelers show for a long time in right. that division. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be the Steelers. It's their division to lose. Um, but this this is where I'm going to 
throw in my first hot take. So I am picking the Steelers to win, but I have a dark horse to win this division. And it's probably not who you think it is. So there are lots of people who are talking about the Browns and the Browns could be an eight win plus team this year. I think that's a load of baloney. And and we'll get into that about why I think that. But my dark horse for this division is actually the Ravens. Really? And I don't think it's probable, but I think if there's another non-Pittsburgh team to win the division, I think it's more likely to be Baltimore than it is to be Cleveland. And I'll go into my storyline and my X factor to explain why. So I think the storyline to watch is the the QB dynamics there in Baltimore. You have Joe Flacco, a previous FCS quarterback who's had a lot of success, including a Super Bowl ring at the NFL level, but who recently has just not been a good NFL quarterback. And there's been a lot of talk about um, his attitude, questioning his work ethic, his dedication, and quite frankly, just his talent as well to be an NFL quarterback. He's... Um, He's kind of become the king of dink and dunk. Uh, there was one play last year where he tried to throw a ball when he was like two yards past the line of scrimmage um, and obviously got flagged for that. He's just, he's not making good plays. He's not looking like the quarterback he once was. He's looking like a guy who thrived previously in a system that was designed for him, and he's just not doing that now. So I think the the storyline to watch there is going to be what does Lamar Jackson do to Joe Flacco going in? Um, in 2014, Joe Flacco had a QBR of 68.2. In 2015, 49.7. In 2016, 52.7. And in 2017, 46. So for each of the last three seasons, he's been at or below 53 in QBR, which is is really not, not, not good at all. No. And Lamar Jackson coming in is a versatile, talented guy who could do to... Baltimore's offense, what Deshaun Watson did, the tech, did to the Texans' office last year before he went down with an ACL injury. So I think that's really interesting. And then when you add to that fact that the Ravens have really upgraded their pass-catching core, um, adding Michael Crabtree and Willie Sneed, the, the teammate of the previous third-string pod guest and dear friend of the pod, Joe Cox, um, as well as John Brown, a speedy wide receiver previously with Arizona, and then drafting Hayden Hurst, who's a really sure-handed tight end and, and potentially a good safety blanket for for a, a dynamic um, outside-the-pocket passer like Lamar Jackson. I think you could be looking at something that, you know, you could be looking at basically some of the ingredients for a turnaround for this team. And, and so I'm not predicting that this will happen, but I think that the ingredients are there. The question is, um, will the will the switch from Flacco to Jackson happen? And if so, can John Harbaugh work around his young quarterback to to make some magic happen? So, so what do you think about that? And what do you think about the Ravens in general? Uh, I'm not as high on the Ravens as you are. I I totally agree with your points that the additions of Crabtree and Willie Sneed are going to be big. I I really think that Joe Flacco's problem last year was just how much you watched really how he was attempting to throw downfield or lack thereof. This past year, uh, he had his lowest yards per attempt uh, in his career at 5.7 yards per attempt. He really didn't have a wide receiving core. So I, I completely agree with your point that the upgrades at wide receiver could start to, to change the game here. But at, at the end of the day, there's just nothing on this Baltimore Ravens team that, that is really getting me excited. I think that this is, this is Joe Flacco's last year as the predominant starter. I really don't think the Ravens will go to Lamar Jackson unless this season is catastrophic. For no other reason than they need him to, to learn the system a little, get some reps in, and just remember how much money they're paying Joe Flacco. That they're just paying him way too much for him to be sitting on the sideline unless the season uh, is is going that badly. I would argue within the first six games of the season is when they would they would try to make a change to salvage their season. I think towards the end of the year, that's when you'll start to see Lamar Jackson really, really start getting his reps. Um, but 
I like John Harbaugh. I, th- I think he is a good coach, and I think that he has a, a good way of, of kind of rallying these teams. Um, and last year, I, I would argue, was probably the, the worst year under John Harbaugh. And so that was that was surprising uh, for, for no other reason than uh, I think he had more talent than he was able to actually kind of get out of that team. But overall, you, you just look at what they've done this year, uh, and you look at, I'm sorry, what they did last year and kind of where they're going this year. Their, their stats weren't that bad. So their, their defense was still ranked sixth. Their offense was still ranked ninth, which I thought was pretty impressive with how many tools we talked about them losing. But it's just be, been the inability to, to do anything with this team, with Joe Flacco under center. So I think this is a transition year for the Ravens. I mean, at 9-7 and seven last year, they were in playoff contention there towards the end of the year. So it wasn't the disastrous season I'm, I'm painting it to be right now. But I, I still think this team is trending downwards. Uh, I expect the offense to be a little better, but I, I don't see any improvements in the defense whatsoever to, to change anything. So may, maybe we, we see some injuries up in Pittsburgh, maybe the killer bees, uh, maybe that system is is breaking apart more than we're giving it credit for. Uh, and that the Ravens can kind of seize on that, uh, that that Raven Steelers rivalry is always a good one. Uh, and if they can steal uh, a game or two uh, in the in the division, you're right, this this could be trending upward, but I'm not as high as, as you are on them yet. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they're, uh, they're, they're, the, the first half of their schedule it has some challenges, but it also has some games that I think will be very winnable for them. They play the Bills in week one, and then they're at the Bengals, and then Broncos at home, and then at Pittsburgh, which I'm, I'm sure will be a loss, at Cleveland, which I think um, could certainly be a win, um, at Tennessee, uh, and who knows what um, uh, what what Mike Vrabel's doing in uh, Tennessee this year. And then at home versus New Orleans. So a lot of question marks on there. But I think, you know, being basically 500 at the midpoint of the season is not out of the question for Baltimore. No, I, I agree. So so let me tell you across the division what I think is going to hurt the AFC North more than anything to really be a competitive division this year is the fact that they're, they're out of conference matchups are with the NFC North, who we'll get into here in a few minutes. But the NFC North, I think, is probably the most competitive division uh, in the NFL this year from top to bottom. Uh, obviously, the bottom is still pretty different from the top that we'll get into. But the fact that the Ravens still have to go to Minnesota uh, to play them, the fact that they um, – it's I, – I just don't see a lot of wins outside of the division for any AFC North team right now outside of the Steelers. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I don't have a whole lot on the Bengals because, like you, I think the Bengals are turning down. I think the Bengals are not going to be in the conversation for the division – uh, but I do want to just cover our, our storyline to watch and and what I think is the X factor. The storyline to watch for the Bengals to me is their offensive line rebuild. They had a, a a bad offensive line last year. They knew they needed to get better. They lost their center last year as well, and so they went out and drafted Billy Price in the first round. Not a flashy pick, but one that they really needed to make because they didn't have a center. So they've got that center. They they need to try to build some synergy on the offensive line to help Andy Dalton rebound. He was twenty fifth out of the uh, the thirty two. Um, qualified quarterbacks last year um, actually two spots only t- only one spot behind uh, Joe Flacco so the offensive line needs to give Andy Dalton some room to improve I think he he's a low ceiling kind of quarterback but his ceiling is higher than what he had last year at least so whether or not he can turn it around and then wide receiver John Ross who they lost for most of the season last year who was sort of perennially on the uh, injury list with soft tissue stuff he's back presumably uh, or reportedly fully healthy and I think you know can he add a spark to the Bengals offense I don't know we'll see um, but you know for Bengals fans uh, I hope so the the Bengals just seem unable to take any chances I yeah. mean the fact that they have continued to stick with Andy Dalton who again 
is not a bad quarterback, but he's definitely middle of the road. I think we can all argue that he probably peaked two years ago with the Bengals. I mean, they just re-signed Marvin Lewis again when Marvin Lewis hasn't won a playoff game in what feels like about 15 years. So it's just, <clears throat> I, I agree that there are improvements to be made, especially on that offensive line. 26th best offense in the NFL this year or I'm sorry last year Not so good. aside from that offensive line build I mean what what else have they really done to improve that I, I see them probably ratcheting up maybe four or five spots in that offensive category uh, but they're just like the Ravens there's really nothing that I'm, I'm willing to hang my hat on with this team as as what's going to make this a, a year uh, to remember in in Cincinnati I really don't yeah I agree well let's uh, stay in Ohio and let's go to Cleveland so let's talk about the Browns um First of all, what do you think there's what do you think their win total is going to be this year, or, or where would you put the over under? So I am much higher on Cleveland than you are. I think the over under is six. Holy 5. smokes, six point five. Oh my goodness. On, uh, yeah, I I think the the Browns they're they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to be that competitive. But based on the status of the AFC North, I think that they're they're going to to be better. Um, than they have been in a long time. Uh, I think the the Baker Mayfield hype will probably be a little distracting for for the Browns, but but let's let's look at their matchups here. So they have Pittsburgh at home. That's that's a loss. They're going to Baltimore. I think that's a toss up. They're going to Indianapolis, which I think is a winnable game unless Andrew Luck truly is as good as the the Colts are telling us he is right now. And and for his sake, I really hope he is. But we'll get into that here in the coming weeks. But then they've got Cincinnati at home. They've got the Jets at home. To Houston, that's a loss. Then they have the Titans at home, and they have the Vikings at home, which I, I think is another loss. But overall, I I see five or six wins from this team at least this year. I, I really do. So as, as I'm looking at this team, I mean, Jarvis Landry coming over from Miami. I think that'll be great in the wide receiving core. Josh Gordon's coming back this year. There are rumors that Odell Beckham Jr. is trying to get to Cleveland. Uh, and and look at, look at their stats from last year. 32nd best offense, 31st best defense which remember there are 32 teams in the nfl so that puts them dead last right. and second to last but i i think what is really going to be the game changer here with how much they improved that wide receiving core is isaiah crowell and and how much he can do uh, as as the the real starting running back that cleveland has been a running back by committee system for so long that i think the pressure that the new receiving core and a mobile tyrod taylor or baker mayfield uh will take some of the pressure off that running game, and this offense uh, will be a lot more dynamic and have a lot more room to run than they have in past years. So I, I really do see them doing something offensively. I, I think the defense still has a lot of work to do, um, and I, I think that will be more of a, a limiting factor for, for Cleveland than any offensive capability. All right, I have two words, Pete, that decimate your entire argument. Are, Here it comes. Are you ready? Two words. Yeah, let's do it. The two words are Hugh Jackson. The, yeah, that's valid. <laughs> the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, who has, uh, in his two full seasons leading the team, accumulated one win. His first season going, first full season going one and fifteen. His second going zero oh and sixteen. I just, I, I'm totally with you. I think Cleveland has updated and upgraded its roster in significant ways. I think bringing in Tyrod Taylor is a great move. I think if Josh Gordon's healthy, he could be a difference maker. Um, I agree with your points about Isaiah Crowell and an upgraded receiving core. Um, bringing in Demarius Randall, uh, certainly an improved secondary, even though I wouldn't have drafted Denzel Ward. I don't think he was the best pick there. Um, I think he's a good player, and I think he'll he'll improve their secondary. But at the end of the day, your ceiling is going to be dictated by your head coach. And I do, I do not think Hugh Jackson is 
a, a guy who deserves a head coaching position in the NFL. I mean, anybody who wins just one game in two full seasons um, does, should not be in the head coaching seat. And in my opinion, that's been borne out by the, the Hard Knocks documentary, which is with the Browns right now. When you see Hugh yep. Jackson interact with his coaching staff, he's not a, he's not a leader that I'd want to follow. Um, and you can see some frustration, in, I think, in his in his coaching staff too on that. So, I think that the Browns. I would put the over under at three point five wins for the Browns. I see them dropping uh, dropping week one to the Steelers, dropping to the Saints, dropping to the Jets, and the Raiders. Um, and I say they they could split with the Ravens, maybe, maybe split with the Bengals, lose to the Chargers, lose to the Bucks. I mean, I just, I look at the schedule and I don't really see many winnable games for them. So I'm saying 3.5. I think they're going to vastly underperform. But with that said, I have a storyline to watch and I have an X factor. So the storyline to watch is kind of what I just talked about. Can Hugh Jackson win? I think um, if, if he's not winning, if he does not hit my over under of 3.5 wins, I think really if he doesn't hit like even even four or five wins this season, he's not going to be in Cleveland because it's going to be evident that this guy just can't win. Um, so I think it's really kind of a, it's a, it's a prove it or lose it year for Hugh Jackson. He's got to he's got to show that he can put together some wins with a talented roster because he's out of excuses now. Um, the X factor, I would say, the X factor is in the quarterback room, and you yep. might think that I'm going to say Baker Mayfield, but I'm going to say it's Tyrod Taylor. You're bringing in a veteran guy who has proven that he can win at the NFL level, who has proven that he can control the ball, can throw lots of touchdowns and few interceptions, and can be a mobile quarterback and can get the ball in the hands of an upgraded receiving core. So that's what Tyrod Taylor has shown you. He has proven that uh, over several seasons at the NFL level. And you're bringing a veteran into what is a very, very young team. I don't have the stats on how young Cleveland's roster is compared to the rest of the NFL, but I'm looking at their um, the average age on their roster right now and uh, or the, the age on their roster right now of each of their players and very, very young players throughout. There's only a handful of guys who are older than 26 years old on the, the, the Browns roster. So I think bringing in a veteran like that uh, to provide some leadership in the um, uh, the offensive line or the uh, in the offenses room in the offensive huddle, uh, especially since you lost Joe Thomas, I think that's going to be that's going to be huge for Cleveland. And if they win games, I think it's because of Tyrod Taylor's presence and leadership. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I I completely agree with with your thoughts on on Tyrod. I am very worried about how long Tyrod is going to have the starting job, not because of his own abilities, but just because of the aura that Baker Mayfield is bringing. I, I totally agree. And and the one thing that I actually respect the Browns for what they're trying to do right now is I do think they're trying to change the culture. I I don't think Hugh Jackson is that guy to change the culture, but I like how much they are starting to build an identity with some of the players to bring in. I think bringing Tyrod, who exactly like you said, as a locker room leader, will be significant. I, I like some of the coaching staff they brought in. I think Todd Haley has the ability to change things up for the offense. I think Greg Williams coming in as defensive coordinator. Obviously, he's had his issues in the past. Uh, but overall, they're starting to bring guys in who will build a culture, which I think we could all agree is really what Cleveland has been missing uh, for years and years, that they always get that first round, number one pick, and don't really ever seem to do anything with them. So I I like the direction they're going in. I, I completely agree that age is really the X factor here uh, when it comes to what they can actually do with this talent. I, I would argue that they have more talent than probably four or five other teams in the NFL right now, and, and that's part of the reason why I think they're trending upward. And not to say that Odell Beckham Jr. is the guy that you necessarily want in the locker room based on his past behavior, but I think the fact that guys like 
Odell are interested in going to Cleveland is showing a fundamental change uh, in how players around the league view the team. Uh, and I think adding guys like Tyrod uh, will, will do a lot for this team just in their, their credibility on the field more than anything else and how they, they carry themselves. So I'm, I'm hoping you're wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if you're right, but this, uh, this, this is kind of my, my team to watch going into the, going into the season. I'm, I'm excited, but I worry if they go anything less than three and one through the month of September, we're going to see Baker Mayfield out by Columbus day. Yeah, I think that is very possible and would be unfortunate for Tyra Taylor, who seems like he can't get a fair shake no matter where he goes. Yeah. Um, let's finish up the AFC North here. Let's go to the Steelers real quick. I, I, like we said, they're their presumptive favorites to win the division. For me, uh, two things to focus on. It's actually all on the offensive side of the ball. The first storyline, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, does he still have it? There were questions. He made some comments last year where people were wondering if he was going to actually hang it up after last year. Um, there were questions, uh, open questions about his continuing abilities and his aging, and he was saying, no, I still have it. And so I think he's out to prove that that he still has it as well. But I think there are legitimate questions about um, whether or not he does, and I think his performance this year will um, dictate a lot about the Steelers' success. I think their, their winning the division is not going to be hard, but advancing in the playoffs is going to be difficult. Um, and they just need Roethlisberger to do well if that's going to be the case. He had... Let's see. He uh, last year um, w- was lower on yards per attempt and adjusted yards per attempt than he has been for most of his career. Um, his QBR of sixty-two point nine last year um, was just a just a tick higher than his QBR last year, um, but lower than uh, basically all of the preceding years in his career, apart from his rookie year. So, um, this is certainly a quarterback who's on the decline. I think the question is how steep and, and precipitous is, is this decline and can he turn in another good season for the Steelers? And then the X factor um, in keeping with this uh, theme of the offense is going to be Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, two of the best players in the NFL at their position. And Le'Veon Bell defies a normal running back position and is more of a you know a, a jack of all trades and, and a master of all trades as well. Uh, you know, he can he can run north south, but he's going to be even more dangerous when he's running laterally and he's going to be even more dangerous when he's uh, peeling out as a pass catcher. So um, can can the Steelers and Mike Tomlin put together enough schemes to utilize the talents of those guys and um, take off with a commanding division lead? Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting with with Big Ben, most of all. I mean, remember how upset Big Ben was when Mason Rudolph was drafted out of Oklahoma State? Yeah, it, uh, it actually reminds he, me of the Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson dynamic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I think the Steelers are trying to get ready for the next step and, and Big Ben is not ready to commit to that yet. Right. So it's it's going to be interesting. I really hope that that relationship doesn't sour because I think a guy like Mason Rudolph, who demonstrated great athletic ability. Obviously, he played in a, a league where there was, or a conference where there was no defense. Um, but overall, if he could learn under Ben Roethlisberger, a la Aaron Rodgers with Brett Favre, obviously that relationship wasn't great, but still the learning occurred. Uh, that could really help propel the Steelers going forward. So I'm, I, I totally agree with your X factor. I'm, I'm interested to watch that. I think health is going to be what really determines how the the Steelers do. Like every team, that was kind of a a John Madden reference, but. Um, it, I, I think if the, the killer bees stay healthy, this this is the Steelers division for sure, especially because that defense improved uh, in the draft as well as in the free agent market. So I, it was the seventh best defense last year, uh, and I think it's only going to get better. Obviously, losing Ryan Chazier really hurts, uh, but overall, they've, they've still made some some great pickups yeah. uh, to improve it. I, I do want to go back. I said that the, uh, the AFC North is paired with the NFC North this year, and that was obviously wrong as we were reading off the schedules here. They are paired with the NFC South, so sorry for the, the confusion earlier on that. But 
either way, this this division uh, could be in for a world of hurt against the NFC South just as much as the NFC North. Yeah, I mean, the NFC is certainly the stronger lead. I've uh, on this podcast before described the AFC as a heaping pile of garbage with the Patriots on top. Um, and that might be slightly overstated, but not really. I mean, the NFC has much better competition, much better teams overall. So let's pivot to the NFC North, Pete. We'll start with Minnesota, the Vikings. Uh, to me, the Vikings are the favorite to win this division. I think that's fairly consistent across most of the analyses that I've read. But I think there are questions about this. Uh, you're obviously working with a new quarterback, and I think the big storyline here is uh, not just a new quarterback, but a new offensive coordinator. So really a, a whole change in the offensive regime. And uh, the offensive coordinator is the previous Eagles quarterbacks coach. So he was uh, presumably, uh, and, and the the reading the reports that I've read out of the Eagles beat writers seem to suggest this as well, that DeFilippo was behind a lot of the success that Carson Wentz had in his, uh, his rookie and sophomore campaign. So the question is, can John DeFilippo um, oversee the entire offense in that same way? Because QB coach is different from offensive coordinator, obviously. And two, will he, will he, uh, mesh with uh, Mike Zimmer up in Minnesota enough to uh, build a good and consistent offensive scheme with Kirk Cousins um, and be able to replicate the success of the the Keenum-Shermer alliance last year. So I think that's the big question in Minnesota. Uh, for X-Factor, we didn't get to see much of Dalvin Cook last year. I think he went down in, a, in the fourth game. Does that sound right, Pete? Uh, yeah, it was definitely within the first three or four. Yeah, so he went down really early in the season. He looked really good before then. He obviously played very well at Florida State, um, but there were, there were questions about you know health and ability to stay healthy. He obviously uh, validated those concerns last year, but now he's back. He's fully healthy, playing on a, a rebuilt ACL, but I think the question is how much can he add to the run game because we all know how much a good passing game frees up a good run game and vice versa so if dalvin cook is on and if kirk cousins and d flippo can can mesh and put together good game plans then you know watch out watch out nfc north because uh, minnesota is going to be tough to stop what do you think i i agree i think kirk cousins is a is a solid guy he he's rarely beat up to the point that he's missing a game uh, he is never going to be the flashiest quarterback in the league, but he's going to be consistent, which I think at the NFL level is exactly what you're looking for is a guy who you know will be out there for the reps uh, and, w- and will be able to perform. Um, what was an incredibly strong team last year, I completely agree, only got stronger in the offseason. I, I am really excited to see what Dalvin Cook can do this year coming back. The defense, which you might remember was the top-rated defense uh in the league last year, I think, again, only got better in the offseason. I'm looking at Sheldon Richardson getting picked up as one of their most significant moves. Um, but the only area where I think this team is really susceptible and where this could get interesting with a guy like Kirk Cousins under center is the offensive line seems to have regressed just a little right. uh, with injuries. And we've we've got a couple guys who are going to be out for the season. Uh, not, not to belabor all those points because I know we're getting a little shorter on time. But watch that offensive line and their ability to protect Kirk Cousins here. Uh especially early on in the season as everyone is trying to gel that that was really Kirk's undoing in Washington is that Washington could not give him a solid offensive line uh, where he could take his time, work through his progression uh, and work downfield that he a lot of times had to, had to check down, had to do dump offs. And and maybe that's exactly what they're trying to set Dalvin cook up for is not only be a solid runner, but also be coming out of the backfield to, to catch some passes. But you look at that wide receiving core in Minnesota um, and you've got guys like Stefan Diggs, who you know just just want to be getting downfield. I'm interested to see if they can protect him long enough to find those incredible wide receiving tools 
downfield. Yeah, so, that's, that's a good question because, I, I mean, it was Nick Easton who, before he even played in the preseason game, had a herniated disc in his yeah. neck, had to go undergo surgery, and is going to miss the entire season. And this is kind of a continuation of the same injury bug that hit the Vikings last year. Now, they were able to recover and gut it out and make it to the NFC Championship game, all those issues notwithstanding, but... I think the question is, you know, how, how long can they sustain that if they're if all their guys are going down to injury? Yeah, but it'll be. but I think a flip side of that coin is, you know, people haven't talked about this too much, but Stefan Diggs, they were able to extend on a longer contract, so he's there for the foreseeable future. And the prospect of yeah. of Kirk Cousins having an elite wide receiver, you know, pass catcher to connect with routinely is is a pretty formidable thought to teams who have to play them routinely. So very much, I. I think you'd be crazy not to pick the Vikings as who should be winning this division. But I think the the Packers-Vikings rivalry is really going to be back. And I, I do think the Packers are going to challenge the Vikings. Yeah, well, but, let's, uh, let's talk about that. What's your what's your storyline and X factor for the Packers? So there there is something about grumpy old Aaron Rodgers. I love it. I know. I, I am really excited to watch on the field that uh, Aaron Rodgers has had a little off-field drama with whoever he's been dating. Obviously, he broke his collarbone last year in that questionable hit. Um, and, and that's when the, the wheels really started to come off for Aaron Rodgers uh, when they, they had to start working through some some backups. And overall, that that Packers team underperformed. No surprise here. But look at what they did in the offseason, adding Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis to the offense. I don't like the fact that they lost Jordy Nelson. I think they lost a good leader in the locker room as well as a reliable receiver for Aaron Rodgers. But there's something about this Packer team as I've been reading about them that it, it just kind of feels like this might not be a Super Bowl year for Green Bay, but this is absolutely going to be a playoff year and a year that they're going to be some very tightly contested games between they, the Vikings, and all the NFC North opponents. But I think both the Packers and the Vikings have a very, very good shot at making the playoffs, um, which which is going to be kind of crazy to think about um, with how good these two teams could be. So I, I would not be surprised if the Packers end up finding their way to a 13-3 and three season and the, the Vikings finding their way to a 12-4 and four season. I think it's very much in the realm of possibility this year. Yeah, I, I would say it's a it's a low possibility. I mean, I think uh, anytime you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, you can't, uh, you can't say anything like that is impossible because he's uh, perhaps the best quarterback in the league. Uh, I think he's certainly better than Brady, who's another name people throw out there for that title. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Packers have improved from last season. I think, you know, as much as I like Jordy Nelson, I agree with you. It's sad to see him leave Green Bay. I also think that, you know, as as a 33-year-old who tore his, his ACL uh, the season before last, I think it was, um, you know, he's just, he's just not the player that he once was. I think Green Bay was wise to use its, uh, use its money elsewhere. Um, I, but I, I do think also that the addition of Jimmy Graham, um, who is also older, uh, certainly on the decline in his career, but the addition of Jimmy Graham as a security blanket for, for Rodgers, uh, pass catching tight end, um, could be good as well. So I think that's, that's one storyline to watch, but overall, I think the ceiling on the screen Bay team is, is going to be pretty low. And, uh, that's in part because of some key areas of need that they have not upgraded. It's in part because they've, um, you know, they've had the luxury of this incredible quarterback for years now, and there's a complacency, I think, that often comes with that. You know, you, you sort of don't address some of your key deficiencies because your quarterback can bail you out, and that's exactly the the hole that the Seahawks found themselves in last year with Russell Wilson. Um, and I think Mike McCarthy is is not the not the greatest coach to ever walk the turf, so I think there, there's going to be some shortcomings in the Packers this year, and 
you know, I think Aaron Rodgers' frustration that we've seen in, in the preseason so far, I think that's in part a reflection of that. I think he probably sees it coming. He understands that this team could be better than what it is. And, and as he looks at it, at what it is right now, it's, it's not too exciting. So I think the Packers, sure, they're always being the conversation in part because they're the only other team that has a national fan base like the Cowboys do. And so those two teams are sure. always going to be, you know, banded about in preseason talk, like this could be the year, this could be it. Um, because that's what people want to hear. But ultimately, the, the Packers are, are not going to do much this year, I don't think. So part of the reason why I'm thinking the Packers could make a, a surprising run uh, really was as I was looking at their schedule. So uh, the, the first half of their schedule is, is going to be tough. Um, I, I don't see a lot of easy gimme wins there. I mean, they, are, they host the Vikings in week two, so they're, they're in it from the beginning. But we look at where they get to uh, at Thanksgiving, and they'll, they'll go to Minnesota on November 25th. But after that, they're playing the Cardinals, who I think will be good, um, but that's a toss-up. The Falcons, which I also think is a toss-up. Then they have the Bears, the Jets, the Lions. They should win those last three games. So if they can steal, I would argue, two of the previous three games, uh, they could be going five and six after Thanksgiving, and that could really give them a boost getting into the playoffs. So obviously, we, we really don't know where the injury bug will bite, and we really don't know how these teams will shake out. But I... I see the Packers, if they can survive the first half of their season, they could have a pretty solid second half. Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely valid. And the other thing is, too, you just said you don't know how the uh, the injury bug is going to bite. And that's one thing that is unique in football. Well, I guess it's the same in basketball, but the, the health of one player can so significantly change the fortunes of an entire team. And so in the NFC North, for example, we're – saying we're, we're in agreement that the Vikings are the presumptive division favorites. It's probably going to be them who win the division. But, um, you know, what if Kirk Cousins goes down with an injury? Um, we would never wish that on anybody. But if he does, his backup is a guy named Trevor Simeon, who in the past uh, year and a half in Denver has just looked absolutely terrible. So uh, that, yeah. that really changes the, the whole outlook of the NFC North and is impossible to predict, obviously. But there's always the there's always the black swan event that could happen. And in, in football, because it's a violent contact sport, it happens, you know, fairly often. So, yeah, I mean, Brett Hundley, I mean, he he did an OK job, but nowhere near what what Aaron Rodgers was doing right. for them in, in any year. So it's it's a great point. It's a great. point. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up here with Lions and Bears. Uh, I think these two teams are sort of rebuilding um, and, you know, I actually have very similar X factors and storylines with them. So I'll kind of lump them together here. But. They both have new coaches. Uh, Matt Nagy is coming in as the Bears coach, and Matt Patricia from the Patriots, formerly the defensive coordinator in New England, is coming in as the Lions coach. So I think the question is going to be, um, Nagy's a disciple of Andy Reid. So how Andy Reid's always been known for his um, his good use of offensive schemes. So how effectively will Nagy be able to um, import that philosophy and apply that um, in helping Mitchell Trubisky? Will he be creative, creative enough in letting uh, Mitchell Trubisky flourish because uh, Trubisky's development is is not proceeding as quickly as Chicago fans would like um, and I think there's a serious question mark there and then the uh, the addition of the uh, Bears Roquan Smith their linebacker who was selected in the first round of the draft yeah. this year um, one of the best linebackers hands down uh, in the draft class and could be a difference maker um, you know along the lines of of like Luke Keekley in Carolina so I think that's that's what to watch for Chicago similar thing with the Lions you know new coach um, and the coach quarterback dynamic Matt Stafford obviously is not the uh, the fresh young guy that Mitchell Trubisky is he's been in the league a lot longer he's he's seen a lot um, he's also a, a proven arm a proven talent but I think 
the question is how well do those two mesh and what will Stafford be able to do under a new uh, a new coaching regime especially one that's defensively minded because Matt Patricia's background um, you know much like uh, much like a Mike Zimmer or a Belichick is defensive and will that pair well with Matt Stafford who I think has always always kind of suffered from not having a an, an offensive guru to um, help him uh, help design an offense around him that can cater to Matt Stafford's strengths. Cause I think Stafford has the, the talent ceiling level um, of a quarterback. That's better than what we've seen from him in the past uh, several years. But that, that's my thoughts on lions and bears. Do you have anything to add to that Pete? Um, starting with the lions, the only thing I'd pile on, I think those were some great points, kind of exactly what I was thinking with the Matt Patricia, uh, Matt Stafford relationship. I do think adding LeGarrette Blunt could be, could be something significant in Detroit where they haven't had uh, a thousand yard runner in what feels like forever. Obviously one of the most storied running back histories ever with, with Barry Sanders coming out of Detroit. But I, I don't necessarily think LeGarrette Blunt is anywhere near that level. Please don't misconstrue that. Uh, but I do think he could add an element to that running game that they've been missing for a pretty long time in Detroit. So maybe that'll help Matt Stafford out uh, just a little to take a little of the pressure uh, kind of off him and what they're, what they're able to do. I mean, we look at their running backs last year with, Amir Abdullah, theoretic. I mean, they, they really didn't have anyone. So I, I think that could be a, a positive for them with the signing of LeGarrette Blunt. Also a guy who knows Matt Patricia, and Matt Patricia knows him from their, their New England. That's team. right, yeah. Uh, and and I, agree with, I agree with your assessment on the Bears. I think Mitch Trubisky is trending upward. I still don't think he's anywhere near the guy that Chicago thought he was when they drafted him coming out of, out of North Carolina two years ago, where I think the – draft analysis on Mitch Trubisky was a little higher than it should have been. He had a good college career, not a great college career. And I think they kind of put all of their eggs in his basket uh, that they were going to be something. But I think their offensive line, much like a couple other teams we've talked about today, has regressed a little. And with a young quarterback, that is still an X factor that worries me. But completely agree with your points on Rokan Smith. I think he could very well be our defensive rookie of the year uh, when it's all said and done. That's how much I like him and like watching what he's doing right now. So um, the bottom of this division is always kind of a toss-up, um, and we'll we'll see what happens this year uh, with with these rivalries. But the NFC North is is going to be fun to watch this year. It really is. Yeah, totally agree. Here's uh, here's some food for thought for you, Pete. Do you think we should be talking about the Lions as a dark horse Super Bowl champion this year? Because in uh, in 2017, the Patriots won the Super Bowl with Legarrette Blount on the roster. In 2018, the Eagles won it with Legarrette Blount on the roster, and now Blount's gone oh. off to Detroit. So uh, I don't know. Is That's this, some Illuminati yeah, stuff I don't right know. there. Just, wow. just throwing it out there. I don't, I don't have a position officially, but, uh, you know, just throwing it out there. Uh, no, okay. I do not think that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, I, I do wonder, though, like how often has that happened where a player has switched teams from one champion to the next champion? It, I mean, it can't, be, yeah. it can't be that. I'm sure I know it's happened before, but it can't be that frequent, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Chris Long did it as well with the Eagles, so uh, it's at least happened once before in recent history. Uh, but anyway, anything else to add to uh, this, Pete, or should we wrap no, it up there? No, it'll it'll be fun. A couple more weeks, and we're we're in it for real. That's right. Both NFL and college football are back. Yeah, I'm excited. It's cool. So we'll be uh, we'll be back uh, the next episode with an NFC. Uh, what should we do next? We're going to do uh, South next. Yeah. All right. NFC, good. AFC South good. coming up next. Uh, in the meantime. Enjoy your weekend, Pete. Stay cool in Vegas. Get some uh, get some pool time in with you and your kids. And, always, uh, always. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>